Today's program has been brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards & Sons, third-generation cure masters producing the country's best dry-cured and aged hams, bacon, and sausage. For more information, visit surreyfarms.com. I'm Grace Bonney of After the Jump, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Greetings, and welcome to Animal Instinct here on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Celia Kutcher, also known as the Food Healer, and I'm really psyched to be back from my week away. Today, we're talking all about squirrels with John Kaprowski, squirrel expert. John is a faculty member in wildlife conservation and management at the University of Arizona School of Natural Resources and the Environment. He teaches classes in ecology and animal conservation and conducts research in these areas as well, with a focus on endangered and threatened species. John has authored more than 110 scientific articles on conservation, disturbance, animal behavior, and ecology of mammals, including working on three books, North American Tree Squirrels, The Last Refuge of the Mount Graham Red Squirrel, and Squirrels of the World. As you can see, John really knows his subject. He's calling in from Tucson, Arizona. Hey, John, are you there? Yes, I'm here. How are you doing, Celia? I'm great. How are you? Doing great. Uh, sunny and 90 degrees here. I'm so jealous. It's starting to get cold <laughs> here. I hate you. <laughs> Thanks for the interview. Anyway, to... <laughs> oh, I'm so jealous. I was just in Utah, and we had some really beautiful weather there and came back to here, which is dropping quick, sadly. Well, you're getting the color changes and that kind of thing that we don't get here, so... Uh, you know, it's a trade-off. That's fair enough. I, I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> Feel better? Good. Okay. Yeah, that was good. I appreciate that. I'll talk to you anytime. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So my first question for you is what led you to becoming a squirrel expert? Well, I, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, in the suburbs of Cleveland on the west side. And uh, as kind of growing up in an urban environment, I was very interested in the outdoors. My family liked to fish and would go out on occasional uh, fishing trips. But really the only wildlife, there were a limited number of wildlife species that I was exposed to. And squirrels were one of those species that at an early age, something I could look out the window. I did a couple science fair projects on them. Uh, and it just, you know, kind of whenever I would think about biology and uh, what I might want to do in the future with, with my life, I would always come back to tying squirrels into that somehow because they're, they're just so fascinating to me, even from a very young age. I've had tons of squirrel experiences in my life. And I mean, my first stuffed animal was actually a hand puppet that was Mr. Squirrel. And so I've been nice, nice. big fan for a very, very long time. I'm right with you, man. <laughs> I love squirrels. I'm fascinated by them. Um, I've had weird squirrel experiences. I got mugged of a bagel and cream cheese and locks in Union Square one morning. <laughs> it was amazing. It was bigger than he was. He took the whole thing and took off. It was like, wow. Yes, they're good at what they do, getting food. Yeah, they are, boy. And when I was in um, Zion Canyon last week, we saw three of the most obese squirrels I've ever seen in my life. It was, like, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to talk about squirrel diet later. But, okay, um, sounds good. I am dying to know, that where did squirrels evolve from? Like, what are they related to? So squirrels are um, related to all the other rodents, and that's a huge group. That includes... 
you know, things from the kind of mice and rats that we, that we know, kangaroo rats, pocket mice, up to muskrats and guinea pigs. All of those uh, are part of the rodent, rodent group, mm-hmm. the order Rodentia. And so uh, they're, they're part of that lineage. They've actually been around for a really long time. Uh, they first start to show up in the fossil record about 35 to 40 million years ago. Wow. And just to give you some perspective on that, the, the estimates of when the dinosaurs went extinct mm-hmm. uh, were about 65 million years ago. So we're talking about a, a small mammal that's been around an awfully long time. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. And has it, like, through evolutionary times, has it changed appearance a lot? Not, not very much. In part, that's why they we're able to find them in the, in the record. Uh, they are, because they're quite successful at what they do, there have always been trees with pretty large seeds that, you know, have that kind of thick husk on them, mm-hmm. like acorns or walnuts, that squirrels doing what they do as far as a tree squirrel, uh, they've, they've been around kind of unchanged for most of that time. If you saw the skeleton of one, you would not probably, at first glance, be able to recognize that one that a 35 million year old squirrel fossil is much different from a present day squirrel. That's amazing! Wow. So, how many different types of squirrels are there in the world? 285, depending how you lump and split them. <laughs> so, it could be one or two either way, but that's uh, 285, and so. I think for most people that's probably pretty amazing because they only see one or two species, um, you know, on a regular basis. Yeah. But around the world, 285, and they come in all shapes and sizes from extremely small squirrels about the size of your thumb that are found in uh, some of the uh, southeastern Asia and Africa, uh, some of the rainforests there, uh, some really small flying squirrels. Oh, wow. Not much bigger than that. And then you've got ground squirrels and marmots and prairie dogs, as well as uh, tree squirrels, uh, like the one that probably stole your bagels and locks. Yeah, totally. And then is there a difference between, I mean, I feel like this is a really stupid question, but I'd never really heard of ground squirrels before I started researching this. So what's the difference Uh between a ground squirrel and a tree squirrel? So for many people, if you are from the central part of, of the United States, you may not really see tree squirrels very often. Not many trees in the Great Plains, but there are, there's an incredible diversity of ground squirrels. And ground squirrels look somewhat similar. Uh, they're close relatives. They look somewhat similar. They tend to have smaller ears because they're going in and out of burrows most likely all the time. Mm. They live underground in burrows. Uh, and they, have, they tend to have smaller tails. But otherwise, if you see them, you would quickly recognize that they're a squirrel. They have the same kinds of postures when they're, you know, trying to be alert. They stand up on their hind feet and mm-hmm. kind of look off in the distance. They handle food the same. Most of the ground squirrels are eating uh, grass seeds or um, herbaceous plants, uh, flowers, uh, leaves of, of plants out there in the grasslands or up in alpine meadows mm-hmm. up in the mountains. And so they look squirrel-like, but they'll be a little bit different because they don't have some of those adaptations for being uh, up in the trees, like that big tail that uh, provides balance and some mm-hmm. kind of a windbreak um, or those large ears that help them pick up, uh, pick up sounds in that three-dimensional environment. Wow. And then are there squirrels on most of the continents? Yes. So 
Uh, Antarctica does not have any squirrels, not surprisingly. Yeah. Uh, if you go to Australia, there haven't been any, but they were, they were rele- there have been a couple releases of, of a couple of different squirrel species there. But they're native everywhere else. So if you go to Africa, um, to the plains, or to uh, forests, you'll find, uh, you'll find squirrels. Southeast, uh, all of Asia, uh, Europe, wow. South America, North America, all have a number of squirrel species that fill pretty much the same kind of niche that they fill here, mm-hmm. um, eating seeds, feeding on grasses, uh, doing pretty much the same kind of thing that they do in our forests here. Hmm. And then I have to ask you this because everyone, as soon as they heard I was going to be talking to you, the biggest question I got is what's the story with the different colored squirrels and specifically the black squirrels? That seems to be the one that really blows everybody's mind. Right. So uh, especially in the northeastern U.S., Mm -hmm. you, you, you probably see a black squirrel fairly frequently. Uh, that's actually the same species as the eastern gray squirrel, the one that's got, kind of has a gray back and a, and a white abdomen, a mm-hmm. white belly. And uh, the same species is just a, a small genetic mutation for coloration. Otherwise, they function pretty much the same. It turns out, though, that, that this mutation of being all, all black in coloration gives them an energetic advantage when you move further north in cold weather. So if you go to Toronto, you'll see black squirrels everywhere, and that gray morph, the gray color form that's most common in much of the U.S., is less common there. And that's because there's actually, during winter, there's an energetic advantage. They function a little bit more efficiently, retain a little bit more heat, and in cold weather during the winter, that's going to be a a bit of an advantage. And so... Uh, we've got that coloration going in the uh, difference in colors in the eastern U.S. If you, but if you go to fox squirrels, which are also found in the eastern U.S. Mm-hmm. and throughout the Midwest, those are usually kind of an orange-colored squirrel. The, their belly is orange-colored. Uh, they have kind of a brownish or grizzled gray back. Mm-hmm. Um, and, throughout, and that's the color morph throughout most of their range. But as you go south there, so the opposite direction, you end up getting more and more dark-colored morphs, and um, they actually get pretty elaborate and pretty ornately colored by the time you get down to the southeast, some incredibly colored uh, species down there, or or specimens down there, all part of that same species. And thought the advantage there may be that the the southern forests get lots of fires, Mm -hmm. and so the animals may be... Um, in that kind of uh, blackened environment a little bit more frequently, and so that that black morph might be, you know, be able to camouflage a little bit better. Right. But we really need a lot more. Uh, we, we don't understand that system very well. So even though these are pretty common animals, there's so much that we don't know. It's there. They really are. I mean, I, is it possible to like tame a squirrel for research, or are they really just wild animals? They're, they're wild animals, so it's, it's difficult. Some people that have raised them in captivity from, uh, you know, uh, for finding nestlings and having the appropriate permits to, to raise them um, report that they, do, that they um, become accustomed and habituated to that environment a little bit. However, they like to gnaw things, and they like mm. to run up things and shred things with their um, with their claws and, you know, make nice bed to sleep in at, at night, which can draperies or 
uh, upholstery of furniture, make really nice bedding. Yeah, so bet. <laughs> they don't do all that well as a as a potential pet. Um, and although they can become habituated to humans, like you see them if you're walking through a park, and you know they'll 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 come up to you, and you might be able to feed them. They may not run away from you. Um, as you walk by, mm-hmm. they become habituated to people, but they still have those wild instincts to gnaw, scratch, um, you know, chew on things, that kind of thing. And if they don't do that, their their front teeth, the incisors, mm-hmm. those two big long teeth, yeah. those are ever growing, and so they have to be gnawing on things all the time. And uh, so one of the problems that people have had bringing them into captivity is making sure that they're they're gnawing things enough. Um, so uh, some uh, some individuals in zoos and things like that. That's one of the concerns that they've had uh, keeping them, even in captivity in a zoo. So can they, if their teeth get too long, can they do what they do with rabbits and, like, cut their teeth? Well, they can, and it's the same problem with rabbits, exactly. So they have to, we have to grind them down or somehow cut them. Uh, and, you know, that just shows how well adapted these guys are for gnawing into things all the time. Yeah. You know, that, that's what they do. So they, their teeth are just ever-growing be, because they're, that's necessary typically in the wild. And uh, so there are ways to deal with that if, if that does become an issue. Mm-hmm. In the wild, it's usually not an issue. They have plenty of things to eat, and that's how they make a living. Yeah. Yeah, because it's like, you know, for people that are feeding them and, you know, or they're getting like the ones in Zion that were obviously living on like Cheetos and potato chips, you know, or getting bird seed and stuff like that. It's just it's nothing. I would assume it's like eating oatmeal for a human. Right. That's right. And that's one of the and that is one of the concerns that that they're they're gnawing on things that are hard enough um, so that they can wear those teeth down. Wow. Wow, well, I think this is a perfect time to take a break. So, John, we're just going to hold on for just a minute, go through station identification, and we'll be back talking more about squirrels. following program was brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards & Sons. Edwards Suriano hams are aged to perfection for no less than 400 days and hickory smoked to achieve a deep mahogany color. 
The Edwards name is well known for its world-class aged and cured meats. Their exclusive curing and aging recipe produces a unique flavor profile that enhances the quality characteristics of Berkshire pork. Optimum amounts of pure white fat marbling contribute to a flavor that's a delicate, perfect balance between sweet and salty. For more information, visit edwardsvaham.com. Hey, what's up? This is John Norris, and you're listening to the Heritage Radio Network. So we're back, and we're talking to John Kaprowski, squirrel expert, all things squirrel. So, John, simple question. What's a squirrel's typical lifespan? Well, it's highly variable because if you're the unlucky squirrel, it may not be very long. But um, in captivity, there have been reports of some squirrel species living over 20 years. In the wild, kind of a lifetime of four, five, six years Mm -hmm. would be considered to be a good life. And for most species, kind of record longevity in the wild, maybe seven to ten years. Okay. So kind of like feral cats and regular cats. Like if they have an ideal environment and all that, then you'll get some time out of them. That's right. That's right. And so how many offspring do they tend to have? Well, most species have between three and four. Some only will have a couple. Uh, uh, Other species, especially the ground squirrels, have slightly larger litters. Some of the tropical squirrels have larger litters that can be um, seven or eight. Wow. And for for eastern gray squirrels, you're talking um, three to four is a, kind of a, a, a good place uh, for you to guess if you're going to guess what their litter size is. Um, in a bad year, it may just be a couple individuals uh, per female. And in a good year, there have been reports of litters of five or six or even seven. Hmm. And then do they mate for life? No. Uh, if you're looking at most species of tree squirrels, chipmunks, uh, many of the ground squirrels, flying squirrels, they tend to be pretty solitary except when they have to mate. Mm-hmm. Um, they will sometimes nest in groups and things like that over the winter, especially eastern gray squirrels. They're actually one of the more social species. We might be able to talk about that in a little bit. Yeah, I'd love to. But um, some of the ground squirrels actually have fairly elaborate social systems where um, mothers will recruit uh, daughters and granddaughters to live near them. So you have what we call a kin cluster, a group of related individuals. And uh, some of the larger uh, woodchuck relatives, some of the marmots mm-hmm. and prairie dogs, have um, those kinds of elaborate systems uh, where being related is really important. They'll live in groups. And often there's just one male who kind of oversees a really large group of mm-hmm. females. Hmm. And so when they interact with other squirrels, is it more interacting with, like, family members, or are they pretty social to, like, squirrels in the neighborhood? So if uh, with ground squirrels uh, and some of those species that I was just mentioning, they usually bias their good behavior, the friendly behavior, amicable behavior towards relatives. <laughs> and if you're an unrelated individual, you will face the, the wrath of, of the animal that you're moving into their, their territory. Mm. And you'll be chased away, uh, often chased by multiple individuals. And so once you've kind of carved out your, the area that you're going to be living in, in many of these species, other non-related individuals are kept away, either stay away or are kept away. Mm-hmm. When you look at squirrels like the eastern gray squirrel that, that, uh, that you have there in New York uh, and is really common on the eastern part of the, in the eastern part of the U.S. and has been introduced to a bunch of places um, here, out here in the west as well as to places like Italy, England, Scotland, Ireland, 
uh, South Africa, um, all of those places, the eastern gray squirrels actually have a similar kind of social system um, where they're not solitary, where females live with female relatives, and sometimes they'll nest in groups of 15 or 20 individuals on a really cold winter night. Usually it's more like four, five, six animals, Mm -hmm. but um, occasionally if you've got a big cavity in a tree uh, and a big old rotten tree, sometimes you'll have really large groups like that. And getting into that group to kind of share body warmth is really a function of your level of relatedness. If you're closely related, they'll let you in and you'll be able to share warmth. On on most nights, uh, if you're unrelated or a distant relative, you'll be um, chased away from uh, getting into that nest. But on a really cold night, late at the end of the night, they'll let that unrelated individual in to share body heat. And the next thing in the morning, they kick them right out. The first one out the door is the unrelated animal. So they're, they're using them for their body heat and then uh, sending them on their, on their way in the morning. That's really funny. And so, how large is a squirrel's territory? Well, that varies by species as well. Yeah. Some, uh, um, uh, for things like eastern gray squirrels, you're talking about a couple of football fields often is a good wow. A good home range size. Uh, for some ground squirrels, it's really small. Uh, they, they live in, in it, since they eat grass and grass seeds and, and, and kind of related flowers in the grassland, often, you know, they're kind of in a sea of food um, when they're not hibernating during the, uh, during the summer season. And so their territories can be a lot smaller than, than tree squirrels that have to roam around and find which tree is having good seeds that year and and stock up on those seeds and then um, head back home. So uh, for something like an eastern gray squirrel, you're talking about a couple of football fields is a a nice-sized, kind of average-sized home range for these guys. Wow. I had no idea. I, I assumed it was much smaller than that. Well, if they're if they're in really uh, kind of high quality habitat or in city parks where there's a feeder, mm-hmm. um, they may not go they may not go that far, but often they will. And males tend to have larger uh, home ranges. It's related to their mating activity. Mm-hmm. So even even though males and females of many species are about the same in body size, some of the ground squirrels males are larger than females, and they kind of defend that big group of females that I was mentioning. So that large body size comes in handy. But in most uh, of the chipmunks, um, where, uh, uh, where the majority of individuals are about the same size or even females are slightly bigger in chipmunks, mm-hmm. to some of the small ground squirrels and then the tree squirrels and flying squirrels, uh, there's not that much of a difference between males and females. And during the, uh, during the breeding season, Males will roam three or four times an area that's three or four times that size, Mm -hmm. all to look for females. They pretty much get up in the morning, uh, move around, and and, uh, try to find out if a female's in heat because a female who's in heat is only receptive for about six to eight hours on one day during a breeding season. Holy cow. Um, For some species, that's one day a year. For many species, it's maybe two days a year. So the males have to kind of monitor when females might be receptive and then... Uh, once, once the female is receptive, usually have a big group of males that show up and try to mate with her mm. uh, in the course of that six to eight hours. I, I'm fascinated. I just assumed since they were rodents that they'd be like hamsters and gerbils and go into heat every 20 seconds, you know? Oh, no, no, no. So uh, they, they, they time their birth seasons with availability of, of food. And so usually 
you'll have young coming out at their early part of the summer um, back east, and mm -hmm. then uh, late summer, fall, when all the acorns become available. So kind of when the, the, some of the early fruits and buds are available, and then later in the fall when all those big tree seeds become available. So usually just one or two litters uh, during the course of a year. That's amazing. I mean, nature's so unbelievably organized. It's so cool. You know, it's like, sure well, is. can't get pregnant now because there's no food. So let's wait a while <laughs> and then we'll be okay. It just, it's, it's something that, you know, the more I do this show and the more I'm learning about animals and from experts like yourself, you know, it's really amazing to really see the social mores and the behavior and what goes on and the details that, you know, they really are as planned as we are, probably more so. And yes, knowing what's and, going on. And, and you refer to me as an expert, which I really appreciate. But I, I, all I know is that I don't know very much. You know, the more we, we learn, the more we realize we don't know. I hear you. There's just kind of an endless array of questions. So I have a question from a friend of mine because she threatened me if I didn't get this on. Hey, sure, you have to. You have to ask that question. I know, I have to. If not, she'll kill me. But fortunately, she's in California, so it'll take her a while to get to me. So that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> So she's got horses, and she lives in Northern California, and so she's dealing with ground squirrels, and they're digging holes in the fields, and it's really dangerous for the horses, needless to say. She wants to know, is there any tips or any methods to getting them to move without harming them? No, it's a real challenge. You know, that's, that's what ground squirrels do. They dig. Yeah. And, uh, so where they find, um, you know, kind of acceptable soil, they're going to dig, uh, and so there's really not too much that you can do. Mm -hmm. Even if you try to remove them, you know, trap and remove them, it's a short-term fix. Other animals are going to come in again. There are, there are some commercially available repellents and, um, you, uh, you know, some, some uh, chemicals like moth crystals and things like that that mm -hmm. you'll see recommended that people put down burrows. And in the short term, those things tend to work, but uh, especially out in a big open area like that, it's really difficult um, you know, to, to, to minimize those impacts. If you're talking about in a corral, there is, you know, squirrel-proof fencing and things like that that reduce the likelihood of, uh, of squirrels, you know, getting into a restricted area or a barn mm -hmm. or uh, something like that. But especially out on the range, out in an open pasture, it's really difficult um, to, to do very much. And um, one of the things that I know some horse people do is, get their animals accustomed to them. You know, often we're afraid to take them by because we're worried about that yeah. uh, kind of issue. But taking them by, getting, getting horses familiar with, with what those signs look like, you know, that most ground squirrels, some of them have kind of cryptic burrows that are a little bit hard to see, but many of them burrow, and it's, you know, it's pretty, a pretty obvious uh, mm -hmm. sign. And so get it, letting horses kind of experience that, yeah. uh, learn from it, learn what the footing is going to be like in those areas, learn what those areas look like, rather than keeping them away. Um, you know, and you're, so if you just take them out and walk them around in those areas, um, some people have reported that that helps, you mm -hmm. know, that, that the horses do learn that this is kind of part of the environment. And, oh, we've got some upturned uh, dirt over here. Need to be a little bit careful as we move through. So... Um, that may be, you know, that may help uh, help uh, deal with that issue just a little bit anyway. Definitely. Thank you. Sure. And let me see. What else do I have for you here? Okay, here's one for you. When we were hiking, um, one of our guides was telling us that he was watching the squirrel one day. It was a male squirrel, and he was spent the entire day making a nest. 
and then huh? brought a female over to ch- you know check out his digs, and she was not impressed with this at all, and he was devastated, and it was a very sad thing. But do, <laughs> do the males do build the nests? Is this what like how does this work? So it, it, there seems to be there have been a few reports, and I've actually seen it as well, where the young males tend to build nests um, earlier in life and. Uh, to, to start to kind of experiment with nest building uh, earlier on, and they're horrible when they first start. Mm. It looks like something you would try to pile up there. They're not, they don't weave branches together very well and that kind of thing. And maybe you would be good at it. I'm sorry. Uh, no, to, that's quite all right. <laughs> something I would put up there. Thanks, John. Right? And, uh, and as a result, as they get more practice, they get a little bit better at weaving things. Huh. But for the most part, um, as far as mate choice goes, we have seen females kind of checking out, visiting those, um, those nests, and even sometimes helping build them. But uh, it doesn't seem to be a big part of kind of mate choice. The way that mating occurs with, uh, with most squirrels, the females in heat for a really short time, and usually a number of males come by and are attracted to her on that one day that she's going to mate. Yeah. And then there's kind of a competition. You may have seen one of these. They're one of the most fascinating things to me as a biologist. But you can have maybe 15 or 20 males following a female around, kind of chasing them around wildly in their home range. And then the female will hide at the base of a tree and then mate with whoever finds her first. Um, if another male comes across the, uh, the, the pair that's mating, they'll... they'll try to split them up and, and attack them both, and uh, just uh, that kind of continues over a six- to eight-hour period. Wow. So there's, really, there, there's a chance for the female to subtly choose which male by um, you know, hiding off to the side, and if a male approaches that she doesn't want to mate with, she can move away, and, and we see that kind of thing happening. But as far as kind of in advance, there's not a lot of evidence that they're, they're doing much of that in advance. Mm-hmm. Now, she might not have been impressed when she saw that nest, but it probably didn't. It probably wasn't related to to mating success. Okay, cool. And then, I mean, I have also people contacting me that want to know they want to feed their squirrels, and I mean, they're huh? asking me what they can feed their squirrels. And I mean, a squirrel's typical diet in Brooklyn is pizza. I've seen this a right. hundred times. So I, I would love being a squirrel in Brooklyn. Oh my God, you'd rock out! I mean, it's the best <laughs> diet ever. It's so crazy. The, uh, I think the the couple of things that I always tell people who want to want to feed animals. Uh, one is that uh, you want to feed them a varied diet. So, mm-hmm. you know, just feeding them one thing all the time means that things like toothware, um, you know, any kind of mineral deficiency that that food might have mm-hmm. are just going to be, you know, be increased. The impacts of that are going to be increased in that uh, that's all they're feeding on it. And so feeding them a varied diet, you know, and anyone who's fed them knows that, you know, they love peanuts and sunflower seeds and peanut butter and those kinds of things, walnuts, but throwing some fruit in there every once in a while, you know, mixing up the types of seeds that you're using mm-hmm. are all um, good things to think about and kind of provide that varied diet. The other thing is if you're going to feed and, you're, and you commit to feeding, uh, you really need to kind of stay with that commitment unless mm-hmm. you're doing it very sporadically because animals do, you, you already mentioned how their births are timed with food availability and things like that. Yeah. So if you're the one, you know, fattening up squirrels uh, artificially and then you stop feeding them, then there, you know, there's some consequences to that. So if you make the commitment, stick with it right. or just be, you know, feed very sporadically. 
Um, in some states, there, uh, uh, you know, there are actually laws against feeding wildlife too. I should throw that caveat in there. Um, and then the the final thing uh, to uh, to think about uh, when you're feeding uh, also is that you, you know you kind of I, I like to make it as unpredictable as possible so that the animals are roaming around looking for food, but they don't depend on you for food. Mm-hmm. They don't. You know, sit there and wait because every day at one o'clock you put out a giant pile of food, yeah. and um, you know then then predators can start to cue on them as well. So not only does it get the individual squirrel in this pattern, but then predators can say, oh, you know, one o'clock. There's always a pile of squirrels in this area. So being unpredictable is probably a good thing as well. And squirrels are used to dealing with unpredictability. You know, that's, that's what they do for a living, finding seeds in this unpredictable environment. Is there anything that's toxic for them that they shouldn't be fed? Um, well, to- well, yes, there are a number of toxic things. Most of the things that you would, would guess, there's nothing, um, you know, unique that, that is toxic to squirrels that you would be feeding them. Anyways, but uh, there have been some uh, nutritional deficiencies noted uh, from uh, squirrels that have been fe- only fed sunflower seeds, yeah. for instance. And so, um, you know, if you kept if you kept animals in the lab feeding them sunflower seeds, uh, they, they they wouldn't develop properly. Some of the especially juvenile juvenile squirrels um, have some issues with growth and things like that. So, again, you know, a varied diet is a good thing. And are they omnivores or vegetarians? So they're omnivorous. They will... They primarily feed on uh, on tree seeds. You know, as you when you look at them and watch how they deal with it, you know they're great at dealing with those kinds of things. Tree squirrels this time of year are busy burying their food for the winter. Uh, most ground squirrels and chipmunks are fattening up because they avoid winter completely just by getting getting fat and relying on those fat stores all winter long. Hmm. Uh, so they're all busy, um, uh, you know, do, dealing with uh, dealing with that kind of thing. Um, right now, and so uh, I'm sorry, I forgot your question as I was headed off there. <laughs> uh, we were just talking about um, toxic foods for squirrels. Oh, so tying into that, yep. So um, you know, they're they're used to that very diet and being unpredictable, uh, and uh, just trying to uh, make sure that you kind of adhere to that. They're just they're great at dealing with that kind of variability. Okay, cool. And another question I have to ask you from my animal rescue friend. She wants to know, what should you do if you find a baby squirrel? Like, if it has a human scent on it, will the parents still take it back? Yes, they actually will usually take it back. So uh, what I always recommend, you know, the first thing we see, we see that baby squirrel on the ground, almost everyone, first instinct is to run over and, you know, to pick it up and, and try to deal with it um, somehow in that way. Mm -hmm. Usually what I recommend is that, that you leave that uh, that baby squirrel there and wait to see if the mother um, comes by to find it. They they have a series of high pitched calls, even some ultrasonic components to their calls cool. that the mothers are really good at hearing and will come down and pick the individual up, especially if there's not a large human being standing right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so backing off and you know let and waiting to see what will happen. Um, is a very good strategy. Uh, most often, the mother will come down and pick them up after they squeal just a little bit. Um, often, those young squirrels, they'll start to explore from the nest, 
uh, and their muscles aren't really well developed. They're trying to hang on to this huge tree, and mm. that takes some the 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 muscle the the muscles in your chest are really necessary for that, and it and those are something that they're going to develop over the first few days out um, out and about, and so falls are not uncommon during that time, and so when you have the uh, when you have an individual that may have fallen. You know, the mother may be out feeding at the time. She usually comes back and will pick that individual up and take it right into the trees. One of my favorite stories, this is something else that, um, that squirrels will do. The, the females will occasionally move the nest around of, of their nestlings. Mm-hmm. And so often the way they do that is sometimes they'll take them one at a time from one nest to the next. But the other thing that they'll do is they'll sometimes take the whole litter, three or four or five individuals, down to the base of a tree and then take them one at a time to the new nest oh. so they don't have to keep climbing up uh, up and down. Smart and one time I came across a, a pile of kind of moving fur at the base of a tree and wasn't aware of what was going on. It turned out to be six little fox squirrels. Oh. And, you know, just at the stage where they could walk a little bit, but and, uh, their eyes were open, they could walk a little bit, but they were still kind of staying together, curled up in a ball. Mm. And as I went up to kind of finally figure out what was going on, the, this big adult female uh, fox squirrel, their mother, came came running by, ran up on my shoulder, knocked my hat off, and sat right at my face level on a on a tree trunk wow. and just cussed, cussed me out, <laughs> letting me know that those were her young and I would I should be departing. So then I started to take off, walking away, yeah. and the, uh, two of the baby squirrels started to follow me. Oh no! She ran over. I, I stopped immediately. And she ran over and grabbed one of them. The other one actually climbed up me and sat on my shoulders until I laid down on the ground and got it to jump off my shoulder. And then the mother came by and picked it up as well. So what you may be seeing, um, if you're seeing squirrels on the ground, you may have come across, you know, kind of in the middle of a move like I did and not realize what you're interrupting. So keeping your distance and giving that mother a chance to come and find it. And if you do happen to pick it up or someone brings it to you and mm-hmm. can tell you which tree um, that it was at, you know, taking it back there and setting it down uh, so that the mother can, can get it is a, you know, a perfectly good strategy. Even putting it in a box at the base of the tree so it can stay warm, mm-hmm. but it can still call out to its mother um, is uh, definitely worth a try because the majority of times the mother will come down and pick them up. Fascinating. I'm really, I'm really surprised by that. That's really, really cool. And so I'm so bummed out. We're running out of time, John. I'm loving talking to you. This is like a dream interview for me. I've been trying to find you, actually, for four seasons. So I'm Oh, great. Well, I'm happy to here. talk. And, you know, we can make this an annual thing if you wish. So. Dude, I'm so down. I can't even tell you. I would love to. I've got one last question for you, and then, sadly, sure. we have to end the show. Okay, I'm really, like, I'm a major squirrel fan, okay? I'm really, really, I love squirrels. In my mind, I think they're a lot smarter than a lot of the smaller wild animals that are out there. Do you agree with me? Well, depends on your definition of how smart they are. I mean, people would ask that same thing about professors, I think, at universities, too. Just how smart really are those guys? Yeah. And, uh, you, you know, I think that... Uh, for uh, it depends on the context that you're that you're dealing with, and in the case of squirrels, they have an incredible ability to do what they do and do it very well. Mm-hmm. They are incredibly good problem solvers. Uh, there's a video that 
I don't know if you've ever seen the video Daylight Robbery that was produced over in England. Um, there's Daylight Robbery 1 and Daylight Robbery 2. They used to be on YouTube, uh, so you, you might check those out. But basically they gave squirrels an obstacle course that they had to navigate to get to a food source at the end. And, you know, they started with a, um, this uh, really elaborate uh, – they're, they're pretty elaborate kinds of things where they have to jump on a cart and ride a little train down to the end of a track. Oh, my God, then, I love it. You know, push a button and climb up this and climb down that. And it's just it's amazing to watch them because it takes a little while till they figure it out, and they kind of you know get various parts of it until they finally f- figure out the entire course. And they come back and do better and better each time. Wow. So certainly if you're looking at that as a measure of intelligence, just how good they are at doing, you know, what they do, then, you know, they're incredibly intelligent um, as far as finding food sources and dealing with problems related to, you know, finding food. Because if they don't do well, then they perish. um, Exactly, and we don't have them for 30 million years. That's right, that's right. They've been doing it for a while. They, They have this thing figured out fairly well. That's so cool. I, I have loved this interview, John. I really want to say thank you so and much. I enjoyed it, too. Thanks this so much. This is a blast. So I want to know, are you willing to share your information in case you have, I have some listeners that have squirrel questions that only you can answer? Sure, sure. That would be fine. Cool. Uh, so I'm, at the, I'm in the School of Natural Resources and the Environment at the University of Arizona. My last name is Koprowski, K-O-P-R-O-W-S-K-I. There are not many Kaprowskis out here in Arizona, uh, and so if you type in Kaprowski Arizona Squirrel into any search engine, it will come up to my web pages, and um, there are links to my email address and that kind of thing there. So I'd be uh, happy to field any questions that folks might have. Perfect. I mean, John, thank you so much. I've loved this interview. This was a, I've just had a great time. I could gush forever. Great. I'm Me not too. I, re- I really did enjoy it. Thanks so much. Thank you. And we will be back next week. You can find Animal Instinct on Facebook. You can also follow the Food Healer page on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>